Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's infanticide masquerading as war, and genocide Joe Biden and crazy killer Kamala have already managed to kill thousands of women and children through the agency of Benjamin Netanyahu. And they want more. The U.S. Navy has steamed into the eastern Mediterranean, including two aircraft carriers. What could possibly go wrong of the offshore batteries of Hezbollah. The British Navy is on its way too, though unable to police the English Channel. It's out there in the eastern Mediterranean. So is the German Navy, which just arrived in Larnaca in Cyprus. So are the Dutch Marines. Netherlands have got Marines. Who knew Winston Churchill and the boys in Dunkirk would have been very grateful for those some 85 or so years ago. Are we headed into World War III? Well, I did tell you that I have made the journey from the Israeli-Palestinian village of Megodu, which is the new name of Armageddon, to the fence at Gaza many times. It's less than a hundred miles. Are we all now headed to make that in the opposite direction? We'll be asking some really distinguished and expert voices on the show tonight and taking your expert questions and contributions on telephone lines. I'm not going to announce the telephone lines tonight because first of all, you should already know them. Second, they'll be on the screen and third, it takes too much time. So get your call in now. More than 300 people did on Scott Ritter's brilliant stand-in performance on Wednesday. And 3,100,000 people watched the mother of all talk shows over the last seven days. How about that then? I'll be on air for the next two hours. It will be, I promise you, the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, I'm back, though in unfamiliar territory and with some new paraphernalia made necessary by the fact that a funny thing happened to me on the way to the studio, namely that it disappeared, or rather it was no longer available. And so I'm deeply grateful to my good friend Faisal for making my appearance on this show possible this evening. I want to say a big thank you to my friend Scott Ritter for an absolutely barnstorming stand-in performance on the show on Wednesday. I was in a country that I wouldn't have been able to broadcast freely from, and I'm never prepared to broadcast other than freely. Not, never prepared to say anything that I don't believe in and always insisting on telling my truths. I couldn't do that, so Scott Ridder did it for me. And 
the audience figures prove that he was a huge success. There are many stars being born in this horrific period that we are living through, and I'm going to touch on some of them over the course of this monologue, but turning to the most important issues first. Thousands, thousands of women and children have now been murdered. They didn't die, BBC, they were killed. In fact, they were more than killed. They were murdered. They were murdered as a deliberate act of killing. And when I hear Western politicians, to whom I shall turn in a minute, say that Israel can be relied on to do its best, everything it can, said a British government minister on television this morning, to avoid civilian casualties, I've got to wonder how they can keep a straight face because the rest of us in our hundreds of millions have seen the precise opposite over the last two weeks. You cannot avoid civilian casualties when you bomb a residential building. You cannot avoid civilian casualties when you bomb a hospital. You cannot avoid civilian casualties when you bomb a marketplace. You cannot avoid civilian casualties when you rain down almost 10,000 bombs in the course of two weeks. It is impossible to avoid large-scale civilian casualties if you fight like that. You want to fight Hamas, Mr. Netanyahu? Why haven't you sent your army in? to fight like men on the streets of Gaza? Why are you fighting this coward's war, raining down indiscriminate devastation and mass murder on innocent and completely defenseless women and children? Why is the question I'm asking Netanyahu, but a bigger why I'm asking Western politicians and their media mouthpieces. Why are you so silent on the pictures that we are all seeing on our screen right at this minute? I have five young children, six children altogether, five young children and five young grandchildren. And when I look at the children being carried out, charred corpses, burned to a crisp, oftentimes beheaded, by the sheer violence of the terrorism that is raining down upon their heads. I think of my children, don't you? When I see their mothers, lifeless, carried from these burning buildings, I think of my own children's mothers, don't you? When I see old ladies killed by bombs from the world's most terrifying armaments, the most powerful military aircraft known to man. I think of my own mother, don't you? Well, our leaders do not, apparently can not. The one thing that distinguishes humans from animals, and we are all humans, not human animals. Some are not children of a lesser God. We are all made in God's image. Our blood is the same color wherever it is shed. The one thing that is said to distinguish humans from animals more than any other thing is the quality of empathy, of imagining 
that what's happening to someone else was happening to you. As Jesus himself said in that very land of Palestine, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Isn't that a human characteristic that has been entirely lost over this last couple of weeks? I believe it has, and it reveals some real darkness, some real satanic evil darkness in the human soul, at least the human soul of the most powerful people in our countries, in this so-called Western world. We're used to them being hypocrites, but this is off the charts of hypocrisy. Someone needs to come up with a new word for hypocrisy. Everything that they said that they stood for, everything that they said that they fought for and were ready to fight for has been entirely abandoned at home and abroad. Let's deal with the less important at home. It's less important because nobody's died yet. But did you think that you lived in a country where a police officer will come to your own door and tell you to take a flag that's hanging from your own window down because of the offense that it might give under the law. Because that's what happened in England in the last couple of days. Now you know what to do when you can't get a policeman to come out. When your car's been tanned, your window's broken, or there's been a burglary at your house, don't bother dialing 999, just hang the entirely legitimate flag of Palestine out of your own bedroom window, and the police will be there pretty damn quick. Did you think that you lived in a Britain where an ambassador of the crown, a man that we call your excellency, in protocol terms, the equivalent of a cabinet minister, the Honorable Craig Murray, was held by the police at Glasgow Airport, held under the Prevention of Terrorism Act for precisely 59 minutes, because if they'd waited one more minute, the Honorable Craig Murray would have been entitled to have his solicitor present for the questioning. The Prevention of Terrorism Act, a British ambassador. Actually, there's been plenty of British ambassadors involved in terrorism in the British Empire over the last couple of centuries, but Craig Murray sure isn't one of them. They asked, you want to know what they asked him in that 59 minutes? Whether he was paid by the Julian Assange family whether he was paid money by the Julian Assange campaign? The answer to these questions is, of course, no, in capital letters, no, no, no. But what's that got to do with preventing terrorism? What's the conceivable connection between the Julian Assange campaign and terrorism? Did you ever think that you would live in a country where you can be arrested 
for, and I quote, articles of clothing that you might be wearing on a demonstration, meaning the Palestinian kofia, tens of millions of which are in circulation in Britain and in other Western countries. You can now be arrested for wearing a kofia on the streets of London when part of a mass demonstration of hundreds of thousands of people can be arrested for having a Palestinian flag in your hand. That's the Palestinian flag that James cleverly, as the Foreign Secretary of Britain, stands beside, side by side with the Union Jack when the Palestinian ambassador in London comes to visit him. But if you hold it aloft in a demonstration in Britain, you can, and some already have been arrested. And I want to focus on this question of the gap, the chasm, the grand canyon of chasms between what our leaders say that they stand for and what they actually do. We live in a country, so do you, where you get no platform in a university for saying a hearty word, where the adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn are withdrawn from the syllabus because there are words that now seem offensive from a hundred years ago. Can't read that book anymore. Steptoe and Son and other sitcoms are prefaced when repeated. Most of them aren't. But when repeated are prefaced by a health warning that the broadcast you're about to see contains ideas, thoughts, tropes, words that are now regarded as utterly offensive. We're all in for gay rights, trans rights. We paint zebra crossings in rainbow colors so as to make everybody feel inclusive. We're all up for trans rights, the right of a man to identify as a woman and everyone has to treat them as a woman or you will face arrest conviction and possible imprisonment for refusing to accept that that burly six foot four boiler maker with biceps that would choke a horse is not in fact Sybil from accounts. In fact, the United Nations put out in the midst of all this carnage, a meme that said, Trans lesbians are lesbians too. Are they? I don't know. I don't even want to know. I don't even want my mind to go there. A trans lesbian is a lesbian too, said the United Nations in the middle of a war in which its Secretary General has never got once off his arse, never got on one aeroplane to try and bring about a ceasefire. You see the point I'm making here? We're all for kindness. Our children are taught kindness. They're given certificates for kindness in our schools. 
And yet all the while, our rulers are massacring children. We talk about protecting children from nonsense and pedophiles whilst we're killing children. And don't say it's not we, it's Netanyahu. Netanyahu could do nothing if it were not for the money and the weapons, the diplomatic support, vetoes at the United Nations, and the massive, massive, massive propaganda resources placed at his disposal by Western governments. So it's not Netanyahu. I always knew he was a killer. It's the killers in the Armani suits in Western capitals that are my main target. Those that speak with such aplomb, those that are never done signaling their virtue to us, who in fact are mass murderers. They are accessories to mass murder. And now, not content with giving Netanyahu all the wherewithal to kill all these children and women, we're sending our own soldiers and sailors into the battle. The United States has got a full battle group in the eastern Mediterranean. So do the British. The denuded, decrepit, stuck together by tape, Royal Navy, which cannot stop thousands of people a week coming across the English Channel in dinghies, has been spared domestic duties and sent to the coast of the Lebanon instead. The German armed forces, what could possibly go wrong? The German armed forces are now in the eastern Mediterranean, polishing their jackboots and getting their rifles ready in the former British colony of Cyprus, Larnaca, to be precise. And the Netherlands has sent 300 Marines. Who knew that they had an army? As I said earlier, it, they didn't stand for 24 hours, thus trapping hundreds of thousands of our men at Dunkirk. Not 24 hours, but now they've got an army and they've sent it to the eastern Mediterranean ready to fight Johnny Arab on behalf of the empire. It makes you sick to the pit of your stomach. The hypocrisy of these people. Hypocrisy is such an inadequate word for the level of cynical depravity in which our rulers are involved. And it's about to get very much more serious. By the time we are off the air, a ground offensive may well have been launched in the Gaza Strip, where 2.2 million Palestinians simply cannot escape what's happening to them and what may be about to happen to them. Muslims and Christians, do you remember how we all cried over Notre Dame? All the faithful cried, me included, when we saw Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris in flames. Last week, Israel destroyed the third oldest Christian church on the earth. 
more than a thousand years old in the Gaza Strip. Palestinian Christians hiding in it were massacred. Did you hear a single cheep from a single Christian cleric? Did you hear a single cheep from these holy Joes wearing their Bibles on their sleeves? Did you hear a single voice from what we used to call Christendom raise any protest at the massacre of the people of Jesus in the Holy Land itself? But wait, a ground attack. Maybe tonight, by the Israeli armed forces, will not go unanswered. China has just sent six warships into the eastern Mediterranean. And Mr. Lavrov has just arrived in Tehran. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall at that meeting? Because I'm here to tell you, and I think you know, I know this region and this issue very well indeed. That's why I'm never on the mainstream television. Who would want to with audience figures like we have? I know this area well. First of all, if and when this ground attack begins, the Palestinian resistance will meet it stiffly. And casualties hitherto undreamt of by the state of Israel will be sustained in the fight between the piles of rubble that once were houses. It can no longer be house-to-house -house fighting because all the houses are being destroyed, but it will be rubble-to-rubble -rubble fighting. And these Palestinians have nowhere to run and nowhere to hide, and they will stand and fight. And in the tumult of that resistance, the friends of the Palestinians around the world will not be idle. They will not be silent. Me, I'll be protesting on air, on social media, on marches. Millions will. But others will take up arms to come to their assistance, first and foremost from Lebanon, from the Lebanese resistance. And they're a hundred times stronger than the Palestinian resistance, and they have themselves powerful friends. If the Lebanese resistance and the people of Lebanon come under bombardment from the United States and British navies offshore, not only those navies will become a target for everyone with the ability to target them. Not only will every American base in the region be overwhelmed overnight. You thought Benghazi was bad? Wait till you see what's about to happen next. And poor Jack Tars and Poor John Bulls and poor G.I. Joes will have been sent into a maelstrom from which they will be lucky to emerge intact as the entire region will go up in flames. And if the Americans and their Israeli satraps 
begin attacks upon Iran. Not only will Iran, which is a thousand times more powerful than the Lebanese resistance, which is a hundred times more powerful than the Palestinian resistance, fight them back with everything that they have got, and we don't know quite what they've got. But behind Iran lies China and lies Russia. That's why the Chinese warships are on their way. That's why Mr. Lavrov is already in Tehran. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. It's the mother of all talk shows. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Making a long-awaited, long-anticipated return to the Mother of All Talk Shows. It's everyone's favorite Texas Rose, Rachel Blevins. Rachel, welcome back. A warm welcome indeed uh, to you. We've missed you. Uh, very much. Uh, I want to ask you, first of all, uh, about Mr. Lavrov's uh, visit to Tehran. Uh, what's the word on the street about the importance of that visit? Well, thank you, George. It's always good to be back. And, you know, it's interesting to see the way that things are shaping up right now, because I know over the last year or so, we've been talking about this increasingly multipolar world where you have countries like Russia and like China playing a big role. And it's not just about the United States bossing around the rest of the world and deciding which country goes to war and which government is overthrown. And so I think it's notable to see in the case of what we're seeing in Gaza right now, just a few weeks ago, you had Russia and China as the top countries that were calling for a ceasefire, calling for solutions for a Palestinian state to be recognized so that we don't keep going through this same cycle of endless violence that leaves thousands of Palestinians dead as we are seeing right now. So when it comes to Lavrov's visit, I do expect to see that there will be 
talks there, but I think more so it is about the message that this is sending to the West right now, because immediately you had the United States sending Antony Blinken to Israel. He's made at least a couple trips there. Then you had them sending Joe Biden to Israel. And in doing so, the U.S. is showing that it has this ironclad support for Israel. But when Antony Blinken came back from his first trip there, even as Israel is killing children by the hundreds at the time, now it's getting into the thousands, Blinken sat there and he told reporters what sets the U.S. and Israel apart from other countries in the world. And he's talking about Hamas, but he's also talking about countries like Russia and China, is that he says that the U.S. and Israel follow international law. Now, that's certainly not what we're seeing, but I do think it is notable that we're in a situation where you've got Russia saying, okay, you're going to send your diplomats. We will send our diplomats too, but we will send them to a very strategic country that we know that the United States does not want to see war with, even if it acts like it does sometimes. Now, uh, Joe Biden traveled nearly 8,000 miles to bear hug this maniac Netanyahu in the middle of his killing spree. Is he not worried? Is the United States not worried? Uh, what, well, to put it mildly, is a bad case of over identification uh, with a power, a regime uh, that most people in the world regard as repugnant and getting on for half, if not more than half, of Israelis considered to be repugnant. It's only a couple of weeks ago, there were millions on the streets in Israel demanding uh, the resignation of the man that Biden, a man in his dotage, flew all that way just to give him a hug. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think Biden's in a little bit of a difficult place right now. I don't feel sorry for him, though, because he has made his bed on this all around. But if there's anything we've seen in U.S. politics, it's that in order to get anywhere, these politicians must stand with Israel. And right now that means standing with Netanyahu. And so Biden is kind of on this tightrope where he's having to make sure that his loyalty to Israel is very clear and that the world is seeing it. But I do think it was notable that at the time of his trip, you had this talk of a possible Israeli ground invasion. Now, we obviously still have that talk, but you have Biden going in and it seems as though he's trying to kind of smooth things out a little bit. Maybe he's telling Netanyahu to kind of hold off a little bit because he knows that any kind of a ground invasion is going to be incredibly bloody and quite frankly, embarrassing for Israel. It is likely to be, especially if you have other entities like Hezbollah getting involved. But then you have Biden in this space where he comes in and he says, oh, you know, we're going to make sure that the Palestinians get access to humanitarian aid, which they haven't had because Israel has very intentionally cut it off altogether and bombed any attempts at getting it ahead of this weekend. And in doing so, what Biden is doing is he's trying to make it look like to the public that 
he is open to all sides, that he's wanting to help the people of Gaza. But what he's not saying and what he's hoping that people will forget about is that the United States has the power to end all of this very quickly. The U.S. could come into Israel and say, not one more dollar. We are not going to support you until you end this complete blockade on Gaza, until you stop this ongoing bombardment and stop killing Palestinian children. And so Biden's trying to make it look like he's being the good guy here, but he is one of many U.S. politicians who is continuing to enable the bloodshed. Janet Yellen uh, said that, sure, we can afford uh, two wars. I must say, as someone who's looked at the streets of Philadelphia uh, recently, uh, uh, it doesn't actually show uh, America's not wearing its prosperity well. But Janet Yellen says uh, that, uh, sure, we can afford two wars meaning the Ukraine war and uh, a Middle East war. Uh, but of course, they're also in full battle regalia uh, in the South China Sea, in the Straits of Taiwan, uh, enforcing their right to fly on the edge of Chinese uh, territory uh, in the air and, uh, and on the sea. Uh, the, the prospect is not uh, two wars, but three wars. Uh, because, of course, Iran and China and Russia are all allies uh, with each other. Is Joe Biden serious that America can afford, not only afford financially, but can prevail? Because he says there needs a new world order. This one's run out of gas, he says. And America and him are the people and the man to build it. Are they serious, Rachel? You know, sometimes I wonder if Biden really thinks before he speaks, and this is one of those cases. I know that he has been asked about this a few times in a recent interview. He said, well, of course American can afford this because we're the United States, for God's sake, as if he's claiming that in order to be the greatest and the best country, you have to be able to afford multiple multiple wars, rather, all of which could take you to World War III, just kind of pick the route. I mean, it seems like that's where we're at at the moment. And then you've got Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen doubling down on this, claiming that the U.S. can afford this. Now, it's interesting if you look at it, because on one hand, when it comes to the money, sure, they can print as much money as they want to. But when it comes to the actual weapons and military readiness, the U.S. military is already struggling, as is trying to keep up with the demands in Ukraine, because the U.S. is still trying to support Ukraine. And so they're in a difficult position right now because they're trying to at least give something to Ukraine while at the same time trying to increase what they're giving to Israel. There's no way that the U.S. can handle all of this, especially when, as you noted, you've got countries like Iran, China, and Russia that are all allies with each other. So they are going to be helping each other out. So the road that the U.S. is going down right now is incredibly destructive. It makes you wonder if Joe Biden is actually thinking past his current term, if he's thinking about whether the United States will continue to exist in the next decade because this reckless road that he's on where he speaks from the Oval Office and he talks to the American people and he says that he needs Congress to approve 105 
billion dollars. Well, only a small portion of that is actually for the United States, for the southern border. Then you have a major portion that is for replenishing U.S. stockpiles of weapons because the U.S. has already sent out all of its weapons. And now it's in a position where it's having to make sure that those stockpiles are replenished as if to say, oh, sorry, we already spent all of the money. Now it's up to the American people. They have to foot the bill for more for these decisions that they never got to have a say in. So it'll be interesting to see how much money he actually gets Congress to approve. But at the end of the day, the U.S. is not setting itself up well for the years to come. Kirby said the other day uh, that the U.S. uh, support for Ukraine was uh, reaching the end of the rope, uh, which uh, was an unfortunate metaphor, I thought, for President Zelensky, uh, who must uh, worry about a rope. Uh, being uh, being uh, uh, coming towards him at the hands of some of his soldiers, generals, maybe. Uh, the uh, If the U.S. support for Ukraine is coming to the end of the rope, uh, and the reason is, as you've just described it, they've actually literally run out of shells uh, that they can afford to send to Ukraine and can't produce new ones in anything like the number, in anything like the time. Uh, to stop what is already underway, a major Russian advance uh, around uh, Advika uh, this very evening. Uh, If you're going to add new wars on top of that, I mean, by definition, the U.S. cannot fight these wars at the same time. Is the opposition in the United States uh, rising to the occasion? It certainly isn't in Britain. Uh, The opposition outdoes itself here in being worse than the government. And that's pretty bad. I mean, it's only a few weeks ago the Republicans were telling us that Joe Biden was a chiseling crook uh, as part of a crime family and that his embarrassing mental decline was humiliating for the U.S. on the world stage. But now they look ready to follow this aging imbecile to the end of the earth. How did that come about? Yeah, you know, I think unfortunately we were in this position where you had members of Congress who were looking at Ukraine specifically and they were saying, why are we giving Ukraine a blank check? Clearly the United States is not winning in Ukraine. Clearly Ukraine isn't winning either in this ongoing proxy war with Russia. But they're asking, why did the U.S. get into this situation where they thought that they were going to see the fall of Russia with all of these sanctions that they put in place, with this huge campaign that they mounted, which did not involve direct support from the U.S. military, but involved the number of other fronts of going after Russia? Well, that clearly didn't work out. Russia is doing just fine. And it's also doing just fine in this ongoing war that is still going on. So you have those members of Congress that look at this. They look at someone like Zelensky, who is not grateful. He just constantly asks for more and more of the West, or rather demands it than actually asking it. And so you had some pushback where Congress was sitting there and saying, okay, we need to rethink our foreign spending. And then Israel came along. And unfortunately, many members of Congress, many politicians, whether they're on the left or the right, they seem to almost get a bit of a cloudy head when it comes to Israel. They don't think straight. They do not look at the situation and they don't say, well, hey, wait a second. Israel has been 
occupying these Palestinian territories for years. They have been controlling everything that the civilians there are able to access. They've been targeting and you know carrying out attacks against these civilians. Instead, they just look at it as if Israel is some singular entity and it is being attacked from all sides. And that is the only thing that should be considered. And so now you have a situation where you've got Congress saying, well, we must do whatever we can to help Israel. And they are blind to any sort of logic in this situation. And that's why you have Biden coming along and saying, okay, well, here's what we'll do. We'll take foreign aid for Ukraine, which he wants, and we'll combine it with aid for Israel and then throw some aid for Taiwan in there in hopes that he's going to get the members of Congress who would say no to the Ukraine aid, but then they would be very tempted by that aid for Israel and by the aid for Taiwan, because of course, even if they're not eager to go to World War III over Russia, they still may be eager for World War III over China, because that is the backwards way that it works here in the United States. So when it comes to the politicians in Washington, you are not seeing a lot of opposition, you're not seeing a lot of logic, But I do think that there is at least some logic among the American people. They're starting to see it on their ends and starting to ask questions. And of course, the hope is always that that logic will spread before it is too late. I I mean, I've been doing this a long time and I've spoken coast to coast, uh, north to south in the United States on the Palestine question. And I've never seen anything like the levels of support for the Palestinian cause in the U.S. as we've witnessed over the last couple of weeks in Los Angeles, in New York, uh, but also in many less likely quarters also. And heroically, I should say, uh, in oftentimes led by Jewish Americans uh, whose heroism, courage, uh, in the uh, face of the onslaught that they, they receive as a result uh, will will um, write their names in the stars. Some of our very, very finest people in the world are American Jews. And even Israeli Jews in their thousands are protesting this, even uh, soldiers in the armed forces. Is it possible to say uh, that Israel is losing the public relations battle even in the United States? You know, I think we're getting to that point. And I think if you go back to October 7th, when Hamas carried out the initial attack, obviously you have many Americans who are going to trade their Ukrainian flag for an Israeli flag, and they are going to speak out in support of Israel. But then when you had Israel's response and everything we've seen from it, you know, you're seeing thousands of civilians being killed. You're seeing just horrific images and videos all across social media. When people see that and they see the reality of that, they start to ask questions about, okay, why is this happening? Why are these civilians being targeted? And I agree. I think this is one of the rare times where, you know, especially comparing it to what we saw back in 2014, it seems as though now there seems to be more of an awareness about the Palestinian people, about what they have been through and what they're currently going through. And you've got people that are starting to question that unwavering loyalty to Israel. And you're right, we notably had a massive rally happen in Washington, D.C. this week that was actually led by the group Jewish Voice for Peace. You had thousands of people come together. Several of them were arrested for protesting in the U.S. Capitol, protesting peacefully 
successfully, notably. And what I noticed about that was that it got very little media coverage. The mainstream media didn't want to talk about it because it didn't fit their narrative. They could not fathom of Jewish people in the United States saying that they wanted to see a ceasefire in Gaza, saying that the Palestinian people deserve to have rights and calling on the Israeli government to stop committing genocide. Because it didn't fit that narrative, then it suddenly wasn't worthy of being talked about, but at the very least, it was widely talked about on social media. And it's things like that that give people the opportunity to see just how heavily the mainstream media carries a certain narrative and the results from it and the people who suffer because of that, because they're not getting information that they need to be getting. So at the very least, now we do have wide ranging social media and it seems like more information is able to get out than we've seen in the past. Rachel Blevins, still a star. Thanks for coming back on the mother of all talk shows. Very lovely to see you uh, again. The poll update uh, is, could the Israel-Gaza war lead to World War III? And the answers are yes, 84% on Telegram, 76% on Twitter, 78% on the YouTube community poll, and 84% on the YouTube. Have your say. A short break, and then it's Andy with the first call of the evening from North Wales. Stay tuned. Do you have to remember back in 2002, 2003, there was a wish by George Bush for regime change. That's what was driving him. Nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction, which of course didn't exist in Iraq. So they had to construct some sort of formula, some sort of cover story, in order to persuade the British public that intervention in Iraq was right. Now David Kelly, uh, as an expert in weapons of mass destruction, knew that uh, this was untrue. He knew that there were probably no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. That was a guy that could have brought down, that was a guy that could have brought down the whole system. I reckon you're chess. You've been thrown up to divert uh, our probing. The Foreign Affairs Select Committee, that um, parliamentarian briefing, I think that was an indignity to him. We saw it on the news, and my very first thought was shock. Um, oh, my God, you know, this man is in the eye of the media hurricane. Uh, he should be protected by that, at least. Have you got that on your hands, Prime Minister? Are you going to resign over this? I don't know the details of how Lord Hutton happened to be selected, but what was certainly the case is that he was the right kind of judge to use from the point of view of Downing Street and the intelligence services as well. Of the 21 days of hearing, only one half of one day was spent on discussing the forensic aspects. That is disgusting. We were given the Hutton report the day before. It was published, but actually what happened was he went too far. The events of 2003 were disgraceful ones in this country's history, and it's unfinished business. Those responsible for an illegal war, those responsible for the death of David Kelly, have not been brought to justice. There's been no inquest into David Kelly's death. There needs to be one. We need to make sure that those who behaved in a reprehensible way in 2003 are finally brought to book.
are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, that was my film, Killing Kelly, of course. Uh, Sean Murray, the great Irish director, who one day will be up on that stage collecting Oscars. Believe me, uh, you uh, if you're a subscriber on my Patreon, which I hope you will be after tonight, it'll cost you the price of a cup of tea in a down market cafe at that uh, per week. And I hope you think my work is worth that. You get that free along with my earlier film, The Killings of Tony Blair. I've still got to complete my triptych of killings, and I'm still weighing up the possibility of doing that. Uh, But you get it free if you subscribe, or you could go to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash George Galloway, and you can pay-per-view it if you don't want to become uh, a patron. But for those of you who are patrons, and they are growing now, I'm deeply grateful. Indeed, I am reliant on you for that. I'm really appreciative. Long-time patron is Gordon Lemons, and Gordon says, with the lack of any true statesman in the West, it certainly raises the possibility that it all could lead to World War Three. He adds, I don't understand this anti-Semitism. Aren't the Arabs Semites too? Indeed, they are. And Guy Thomas Gnacco is a new patron. Thank you, Guy. Uh, he says, if the U.S. felt it had a chance to wage World War Three without escalation onto its soil, surely it would not hesitate to attack Gaza. The U.S.-Israel is weighing the balance of forces at play, and the odds against them are way too high. That's the only reason why this conflict will not escalate into World War III. There's a fair number uh, of people think that way, Guy. Hafsa, who's a Moats legend, that's the highest form of Moats uh, personality, says it's amazing to see the support around the world for Palestine. Humankind serving humankind. Sadly, we, the people, are speaking, but our governments are not listening, just like Iraq. Thank you for being the voice of the voiceless. Thanks again for supporting me. Please support me on patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Suleiman Ahmed is a distinguished academic, an investigative journalist, and an author and political commentator. And he's been busy this last few weeks, and boy, has he turned over a scoop or two. Uh, Mr. Ahmed, uh, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Start by giving us your top three or four uh, uh, statements of um, uh, dubious credibility right through to the outright hoaxes that you have managed to expose over this last period. Yeah, sure. I mean, the main, I mean, what we saw is, and it, and it's hard to even um, minimize it to three or four, but what we saw is a plethora of propaganda campaign, which has happened in the past, where, for example, they had the mainstream media peddling whatever propaganda that the Zionist movement wanted, and also alternative media. Now, we've been quite lucky that we're in a scenario now where we have Twitter, X, and Elon Musk almost giving people a free speech platform where we're able to basically proliferate the truth and proliferate alternative reality-based positions. And despite the fact that Elon Musk does engage with a lot of Zionist accounts and them 
trying their best to censor people like myself and others who are debunking these. He's not kowtowed to their demand, so I give him a huge amount of credit for that. Now, the biggest hoaxes are, first of all, we started with the 40 beheaded baby story. The claim was immediately after Hamas did what they did, that there was, uh, they, they, uh, they basically beheaded four baby, 40 babies. And the reason why they did that was because they wanted to use that in order to basically genocide the entirety of Gaza. Because how, what can be more horrific than the beheading of 40 babies? And then what happened was you had a scenario where basically the reporter that initially, and I did write a thread on this, but basically a reporter that initially claimed it backtracked. A second reporter who claimed it deleted her uh, tweet. And basically, the Israeli army had told alternative media, so it was a Turkish news channel and various others, that they'd never seen any beheaded babies. And the only, or the one of the main sources that was reporting about it was, for example, I-24 News, which is a Netanyahu-run channel and has connections, the Egyptian owner of it has connections to Netanyahu. And so when... I investigated it. All roads led back to Netanyahu, and he was the only person who propagated this. And then you saw, over time, them starting to backtrack. They had the president of the United States firstly claiming that he saw it, and then immediately backtracking from it. You saw CNN claiming that they'd seen it, and then immediately backtracking from it. And so, finally, now... Uh, the IDF are basically claiming and uh, uh, on Twitter spaces as well as uh, in terms of tweets that, oh, why are you asking for 40 beheaded babies? Even a baby dying is bad enough. But then we've just recently had uh, a Haaretz report, which is an Israeli newspaper that has given figures of the first 670 people who have died from the Israeli side and zero are babies at the moment. Now, obviously, now that we've all made or highlighted it, I'm, I'm guessing they'll start increasing that number from zero, but at the moment it's zero. So this is the level of propaganda that was caused and we were only able to debunk it because of Twitter and X and we were because we had a free speech platform. The second major one was the hospital bombing and it was a bombing of a hospital of the Baptist hospital. It's a Christian hospital. And it basically had 400 patients and 12,000 people because a lot of people went to, re to seek refuge in there. So some people were inside the hospital and some people were outside the courtyard of the hospital. Now, this regime is used to bombing hospitals. They're used to bombing schools. They're used to bombing places of worship, such as the church that they bombed just recently, um, where the libertarian former libertarian congressman's family passed away. They initially claimed that didn't even happen. And so you had a scenario where they did it. And remember, two days before, they had warned, they, they sorry, and multiple times they had warned this hospital that they were going to bomb it. And two days before, they'd actually bombed it, causing damage and injuries. And then the administrator of the hospital came out on Facebook and made a plea, please stop bombing our hospital. And then a further post saying, look, this is our location. Please give us sanctuary. Stop bombing us. We have patients, we have people injured. We cannot basically relocate them, but they didn't care. And they bombed it. And for them, it's just normal. Bombing hospitals is normal. But the difference here was there was an outrage. And so because there was an outrage, that's when their decision-making changed because initially the spokesperson, or Israeli spokesman, digital spokesperson, Netanyahu's own man said, confirmed that they'd bombed the hospital, but then immediately they start backtracking. 
And what they did was, because what happens with the Israelis is they've got intelligence, people working on, on throughout various aspects. So they pay people on the mo- bottom level. So people have appeared for posts through various outlets, such as Influencible, through Prager University. And then people are paid for posts. But then you have these Zionist-linked people or intelligence-linked people. So as an example, the main person they used to claim that it wasn't Israel was an OSINT account, OSINT Intel. And that account is actually linked to intelligence. It's CIA intelligence. So again, you see where all of this alleged debunking comes. But then luckily, we all came along as well as Al Jazeera, as well as Channel 4, I have to give them credit on this specific one, who demonstrated yes. unequivocally based on location, trajectory, sound, and the fact that I, I believe was an airburst that was used, that it was basically Israel, who without a shadow of a doubt, or unequivocally, obviously you can never have certainty, but almost certain, certain that they did it. Yeah, let's examine uh, one of them, the most significant one. Um, the... The 40 beheaded babies belongs in the annals of blood libels uh, with the gravest of consequences. And this was repeated by some of the most powerful uh, people in politics and some of the most powerful people in media. Andrew Neal, formerly a friend of mine, uh, repeated it ad nauseum. Uh, with the weasel words, it's increasingly likely that it's true. I had to block him, so I don't know if he has ever acknowledged that it is increasingly likely that it was fake, because I couldn't, as Elvis Costello might put it, uh, I had to turn out the big light. I couldn't bear to see him this way. Joe Biden himself said that he had seen pictures of these 40 beheaded babies, only for his officials within minutes to brief everyone that actually he hadn't seen it, but that Netanyahu had told him that it was true. I'll tell you why they did that, Mr. Ahmed. They did it because they knew that they were in the process of and intensifying the beheading of far more than 40 babies themselves. Because if your head is blown off by a rocket or a bomb that rocketed your house or your hospital or your church or your mosque or your marketplace or your street, you are a beheaded baby. And they knew that they were doing so and would be doing so. And so they got their retaliation enforced. Isn't that right? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, we've seen multiple images, videos of thousands. Of, well, we've seen we, we've seen multiple videos of children actually having beheaded, babe, uh, behead, being beheaded from Gaza. But in addition to that, as you've quite clearly stated, and I completely agree with it, we've had thousands of children who've died in Gaza. And this just gives them carte blanche to continue this genocide. But I do believe that if this had not been debunked, if this had not been proven to be a fraud and this was done on social media, what would have happened was this would have given them carte blanche to complete a a much more significant massacre, genocide. So this was almost a form of saving those people where they have been genocided, 
but not to the same extent. Like they would have just completely destroyed Gaza. Well, uh, I mean, if someone had beheaded 40 babies from the Palestinian side, it would have been one of the most monumental crimes, almost unimaginable, indescribable, and utterly condemnable in this life and in the next life. Lying about it, inventing it, is a pretty big sin itself, isn't it? Well, it's one of the most horrific things, because just think about it. Just think about the images or the thoughts that come about when you make such a claim, the emotions that occur when you hear such a claim. So that was the reason for it. It's because you want to manipulate the public. And what's the best way to manipulate the public? Emotions. And how do you? And what makes someone more emotional than this innocent child? And then to do such a horrific, evil act to such a child li- basically dredges up emotions. I was hearing on social media, they were saying CIA agents, military experts, people who are meant to be balanced. Well, they're not balanced. We know they're not, but they give the veneer of being balanced, who were literally saying that we're going to burn Gaza to the ground due to these beheaded babies. We're going to turn it into a parking lot. So this was going to be used as a dog whistle, as a form of control to basically make the masses okay with the fact that you were going to commit this kind of devastation. And that was the real reason it was used. And um, I'm really happy that we were able to debunk it. And now there's no beheaded babies. And they gave one picture of a baby that would be, had been burnt. But we don't even know the source of that. No one questioned it. What the source was, where the baby would come from. And the figure says zero now. And I did say that, look, we don't even know if that baby was someone from Gaza. Because that's happened a lot in this war. No, it's not a war. Apologies. A lot has happened in this massacre where they've used images from Gaza, from children who've been killed in Gaza, from babies that have been killed in Gaza, from buildings that have been destroyed in Gaza and given people the thought that it's Israel. So this is because they don't have images. So a good example is on the Telegraph where they showed a picture from Gaza and said, pray for Israel. I can't remember the headline, but it was something along those lines. So these are examples of what is happening. And, And just to give you another example, the British media posted an image on page three. I believe it was the Independent or the Telegraph. I can't remember which one. And they were they wrote, this is the most horrific thing we've ever had to post. And so they continued with the lie without ever sourcing where these came from, without sourcing the information. So you just can't trust mainstream media. It is a propaganda campaign, uh, uh, completely controlled and manipulated to basically pr- provide this kind of information. A good example is BBC, again, who attempted to debunk this hospital bombing the people who are basically reporting on that, who made this claim, are all linked to Israeli or American intelligence. So again, you're seeing how everything goes back to either Netanyahu or Israeli or American intelligence. Now, let me, uh, we've not got long left, uh, so let me uh, zero in on a point you made about the list of names. It's first of all, surprising that it has taken Israel so long Uh, to publish the names, and in many cases, the photographs uh, of the people who were killed in the prison break on October 7. Uh, Maths is not my strong point, uh, but I did count the names that have so far been released, and it is uh, less than half of the number claimed and regularly repeated 
since. And reading in Haaretz, the vast majority of them were members of the Israeli security forces, in other words, military targets. The fact that there has not been a single child yet named is uh, of, well, curiosity, at least to me, I'm perfectly willing to believe, and indeed denounced on my first show after October 7th, I'm perfectly willing to believe that there were, were non-military women killed in that prison break and that there were children uh, killed in that prison break. And I condemned them then and condemn them again now as not just crimes, uh, but also crimes uh, in Islam. It is forbidden in Islam to kill the women and children of your adversary. Indeed, it's forbidden even to damage their trees willfully. Uh, so I'm ready to believe that in the numbers not yet released, there may very well be uh, children. But it's curious that there have not been any children at all listed as having been killed in that breakout uh, on October 7th. It's also curious how few funerals we have seen. In previous conflicts, where an Israeli is killed in the conflict, there's endless television coverage of their funeral. You get to know their families, their neighbors, their names, everything about them. I'm wondering if there really were 1,400 Israelis killed on October the 7th, and so far, this limited release of information serves to buttress my suspicion. What about yours? I completely agree with your, um, basically your analysis in the sense of we need evidence. We can't just take these claims as being correct without looking at the data. So as an example, you said, and I completely agree with you, if any innocent person, their life has been taken or they've been taken incorrectly as hostages when they're not meant to, then I, I completely disavow that. That's completely unacceptable. But there's a lot of nuance to it. So let's take children out of it. Because like you said, we don't know the data on the children and the data does seem to suggest that we don't know what we don't know the situation. But look, when it comes to women, yes, ordinarily there is a situation where you basically women are innocent. You're not meant to basically do anything, you know, harm them or whatsoever. But in, the, in Israel, it's quite different, and that's why we need to look into it. Remember, a lot of these women have served as part of the IDF. They are soldiers, and that's what makes it complex, because they're actually soldiers. Now, there may be some women who aren't soldiers, and so that's why I agree with you. We need to find out who those are, whether they're soldiers or not. So, yeah, we completely disagree. In terms of the numbers, yeah, I mean... Well, just before again, you leave that, I'm, I saw pictures. Just, just before you leave that, I saw pictures in Haaretz of very elderly ladies uh, who clearly are not members of the Israel Defense Force and clearly should not have been harmed. I completely agree with you, yeah. So if there is any peep, any person who is, like you said, the elderly, the vulnerable, and are not soldiers, they should not have been harmed. I completely agree with you. So, And, and if that is the case, then for sure, I, I, I agree with that. But we need to look at whether that is something factual or 
what actually happened with those, whether they happened due to friendly fire, whether they happened from Israeli forces. We need to look into the information. And the reason I'm saying it is not that I'm trying to be sophistic or you apply sophistry. The reason is that we're dealing with a, a, a peop, a, a, with a, with a nation, Israel, or with a with a basically intelligence service that lies about everything. They claimed for Ibn Baby, they claimed mass rape. And now there's zero evidence of that. They claimed a massacre at the festival. And now it seems to be the case that there was no massacre. So they claim that they didn't bomb the hospital. And now we know that they did bomb the hospital. So when you've got somebody who basically is willing to lie about things that we completely know are lies, then we need to basically analyze and ask for the information. Now, I'm not saying that we're being completely sophistic. We will agree to anything that is provided as evidence. And we will take some kind of merit to what they say. But like... I agree with you. The fact that, look, it's been two weeks. How is it after two weeks, they have zero babies, zero babies on the data? That makes no sense, especially when they've been willing to provide it in photographs. So when you look at this, and this is why it's an overarching thing, this is complete control of the media and the narrative. You saw it immediately after the hospital bombing, where they automatically just said, oh, it's been debunked. Is um. Uh, PIJ did it, and therefore there's no question about it whatsoever. And they got confused between PIJ and Hamas, so some of them were using, they didn't get the same hymn sheet. They probably didn't know the difference. But the point being, you saw it, and again, this is what I mean by social media, like they have it on low levels where there's certain people, the people are getting paid for posts. So if you see these posts, and the post was immediately after the hospital bombing, it's been debunked, and uh, PIJ or Hamas did it. So, and then people got paid for those posts and then people got paid thousands of dollars for more uh, detailed posts. And then you have Zionist controlled media that Zionist controlled influencers, because a lot of the large influencers on social media, on Twitter are actually Zionists. It doesn't matter if they're from the liberal side or the conservative side, they are. And so therefore the whole point is to proliferate. So I give credit to anybody on social media, the few accounts that have basically been providing alternative truths about what is actually happening. Well, thanks, uh, Suleiman Ahmed. Uh, fascinating uh, discussion. Uh, I, I, I just want to make this last point, that uh, many Jews are not Zionists. Most Zionists are not Jews. And the synonym of Jewish and Zionist is something that we will never make on this show, and neither did 100%. Mr. Ahmed. I appreciate that, George. Just, yeah, I agree with you. And Zionism isn't Judaism. And actually, if you look at this in Israel, it's Orthodox Jews who are oppressed. Their water is also regularly turned off to oppress them as a people. Christian minorities will, are oppressed as them. well as Muslim yeah. majorities. So I completely I, agree with you. I, I, uh, I visited them in their uh, Mia Sharim neighborhood uh, in Jerusalem. Thanks, uh, Suleiman, uh, for that. Stay tuned. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Well, we couldn't get Marwan Barghouti because he's in an Israeli dungeon, at least for now. But we have got his son, the well-known journalist, commentator and activist, Arab Barghouti, who joins us on the Mother of All Talk Shows. It's an honor uh, for you to be here, Arab. Uh, uh, first of all, your summary of events uh, over the last couple of weeks, if you will. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. 
um, I think to to get in, into it, uh, we're witnessing uh, genocide live streamed uh, on TV. Uh, war crimes are being uh, taped every single day. And uh, unfortunately, they are being sponsored and given the green light by the Western governments, uh, such as the U.S., who uh, wants to keep making the same mistakes again and again and again and getting into wars in the Middle East and, uh, uh, you know, doing the harms that they've been doing for decades in the Middle East. The U.K. that unfortunately... Uh, has given Palestine into to, to the Zionist uh, uh, movement more than a hundred years ago, and then in 1948, they supported the slaughter and genocide and ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people, or the EU, especially when we talk about France and Germany and these countries that claim uh, the freedom of speech. And now we see how they uh, arrest people and kidnap them just for wearing al kufiya and. Uh, uh, wearing uh, the uh, having the Palestinian flag, uh, the, the double standards that they have uh, with uh, with uh, Ukraine versus Palestine, and this triggers many emotions uh, uh, for us because uh, the West has always claimed to have uh, the high values of uh, freedom, of freedom of speech, of independence, and all of that. But when it comes to Israel, it seems like all of this disappears, and it seems like the international law does not mean anything. Up until now, we're, uh, uh, we lost about 4,800 uh, martyrs in, in Gaza, on which two-thirds of them are women and children, like literal children, are, are being slaughtered in front of our eyes. and. To look at the big picture, in my opinion, this is a real attempt uh, to end and uh, kill the Palestinian cause overall. Because if you really think about it, after 75 years of oppression, of occupation, brutal occupation, of apartheid regime, of uh, arresting people, demolishing houses, killing people, ethnically cleansing, genocide, all that we're going through for 75 years, not since October 7th, like some people seem to think. And with all that, we still have uh, in, in historical Palestine, we still have 7 million Palestinians that are resilient, that are, that are staying in Palestine with all of that, and 7 million Jews, Israeli Jews at the same time. And I truly think this is uh, representing a huge problem, problem for Israel. So um, unfortunately, uh, Israel is taking th this chance and taking this and looking at this as an opportunity to ethnically cleanse and uh, uh, displace uh, millions of Palestinian people because to, to continue with their uh, original Zionist project of controlling the whole land uh, from the river to the sea. But I don't think that uh, they expected to uh, be faced with, uh, with people like us, with people like uh, the people that we see in Gaza after all the killings, the thousands of, of losses, the homes, the buildings, everything. Um, they're still literally protesting and uh, uh, supporting uh, resistance with all of that, sending a message to the world that they would rather die in this land rather than to uh, go away and uh, uh, go to another country. And what's very interesting to me is that I already see debates from American politicians, from European politicians, whether they should take Palestinians as refugees or not. I mean, how rude can you be to even discuss that? Uh, because we're we're not leaving, and these 
people in Gaza, 70% of them are already refugees. So they are the grandchildren of the people that got displaced in 1948. So are they crazy? Do they think that we're going to be displaced again? Of course, we're going to fight back and we're going to resist and we're going to stay in our land no matter what. Why do you think uh, Netanyahu hasn't yet begun his ground invasion of Gaza? And do you believe he actually will? Because every one of those demolished houses uh, will be turned into uh, a firefight. Uh, They can't fight house to house, but they'll fight from the rubble of each house to house. Uh, The the, uh, military conquest uh, of Gaza, uh, where there will still be 2.2 million civilians there, uh, and there will be resistance uh, behind every piece of rubble. Uh, do you think he will do it? Well, I think that uh, uh, the, the reason why they are bombing Gaza is that the Israeli government has always had a very clear message that they want to send us as Palestinians and they want to send the word, which is the fact that uh, your life is less worth worthy uh, than the Israelis. And this is exactly why they are trying to send us a message that if you kill 1,000 of us, we're going to kill 10,000. We're going to kill 15,000. If you take one soldier, our soldier is worth 1,000 soldiers uh, of uh, 1,000 prisoners of yours. So I, I truly think that the message is clear and has been clear. It's an apartheid regime, so you, you're not going to be uh, shocked when you hear these facts of, of how, how they think and their mentality. Now, when it comes to the ground invasion, I don't think uh, that uh, uh, Israel is willing to uh, sacrifice that. We're hoping for, for that not to happen. I really don't know if they're going to be that crazy and to go into Gaza on ground because that's going to be a massacre. Uh, uh, for the civilians. And what we care about right now is the, is the ceasefire just for the safety of the civilians, just for the safety of uh, the women and children and elderly people that Israel practices its biggest hobby in the world, which is slaughtering children and women. And what's interesting is that now they make it seem as if it's uh, uh, shocking uh, to them to uh, commit these crimes as if they didn't uh, do them uh, all along. And I, I think if, if you go into Israel's history, you're going to see all these uh, 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 massacres already committed. So honestly, as Palestinians, we're just praying for uh, the Palestinian uh, people in Gaza to be safe and then uh, of course, we're going to keep asking for the end of the occupation because they think that we're going to be satisfied with peace. We're going to be satisfied with keep your mouth shut, be grateful with what you got, but we're never going to be satisfied with that. We want independence and end of the occupation. It's a very clear and simple message. How is your father? How is his spirit? Well, unfortunately, like many uh, others in in uh, Israeli prisons, uh, we can we couldn't get hold of him uh, since uh, October seventh. Uh, ne- ne- neither the uh, lawyer has been able to to see him, and uh, this is uh, this goes, of course, under the collective punishment rule that Netanyahu claimed a few months ago that they don't use it, which is. Uh, uh, illegal by international law and uh, i always say it when when we talk about israel 
the the word illegal by international law keeps popping up because I think that's their slogan. They don't care about the international law. Everything they do, the occupation, the uh, apartheid, the checkpoints, everything they do is against the international law, kidnapping people. And uh, uh, talking about prisoners, um, you know, everyone made a very, very big deal about the two to three hundred hostages or prisoners that uh, uh, the resistance captured in, uh, from Israel. But no one is talking about the historical facts that in Palestine we have since the 1967 more than one million people, one million people, uh, 25% of the population of the West Bank and Gaza have, have been imprisoned. And one of them is my father, who is spending his 22nd year in prison. And his cousin, who is spending his 44th year in prison, one of the longest in modern history. And his other cousin, who spent 33 years, and then when he was released, he left his son in there, just to send the message that this trauma uh, keeps moving with us generation after generation. And we have, you know, the conviction rate against Palestinians, if you go to uh, court, is 99.7%. So that's all happened before October 7th. And after October 7th, 5,000 Palestinians have been arrested from Gaza and the West Bank. And no one is even speaking about them. And most of them, they go into administrative detention, which is basically going to prison without trial, without any, uh, you know, uh, going to court or anything, which is again illegal by the international law, and they just keep them in in prison. And to go back to uh, my father's question, uh, you know, I always say that whenever I go uh, see my father, which is very rare. Every few years, they allow me to go see him. I always uh, prepare myself to give him strength, to give him, uh, uh, you know, all the uh, positive energy. But I always go there, and he's the one who gives me that. He's the one who gives me, and the many people that he sees when the families come uh, and and see him. That's who he is. So we're, we're never uh, afraid that he's down or anything like that, because he's always trusted and had a blind belief in the Palestinian people and the Palestinian resistance that we're going to get over anything. And the Israeli uh, project will never succeed because we are on the right side of history. And he's always told me when you're on the right side of history, you're always going to be comfortable, no matter what. Please give him and your mother, uh, for that matter, uh, with whom I've spoken many times, uh, my warmest salam and greetings, and those of the vast audience of the mother of all talk shows. Arab Barghouti, thanks for joining us this evening on this auspicious show. I have only time for one more call, and it's a woman caller in Chicago called Zena, who wants to talk about Palestine, and I do want to get her call in. Zena, welcome to the show. What would you like to say? Hi, George. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for your coverage. Um, seeing you from the United States, it's a breath of fresh air to see someone that's reporting honestly. And I just wanted to thank point you. out that so far, since October 7th, there's 29 UN workers that have been reported dead, and Israel doesn't seem to care. And in response, actually, to a tweet, by the United Nations that stated every war has rules, Israel propagandists page decided to respond that even Israeli lives matter or something to that. You know, and it's just atrocious and insidious. But you know, Zena, why like does the UN not do something uh, about it? 
I mean, if I was the Secretary General of the United Nations, I would say you just killed dozens of my staff. You just destroyed dozens, if not scores, of my schools, my warehouses, my installations that are legally there in the Gaza Strip because we have a duty as the United Nations to try to do something to help medically and in food terms, school terms, uh, the Palestinian refugees there. Why doesn't the Secretary General of the United Nations expel Israel from the United Nations for these crimes? The yeah, okay, is- the Americans will veto it, but at least try and do something a bit more than putting out a tweet. No, I mean, I completely agree. I mean, on the other hand, all these news agents and all these shows are always saying, you know, condemn, condemn, condemn. Where is the condemnation for what Israel has done? Not a single person asks Israel, hey, you want to condemn what you've done? I mean, have you seen the scores of children? Over 1,000, 1,500, maybe more at this point, probably more, probably so many that have gone unreported. It's absolutely insidious. It's disgusting. Wonderful call, uh, Zena. Uh, I'm losing uh, um, contact with the mothership, as you can see, while I'm pressing this ear pod into my ear. That will have to be the last call. But the good news is we'll be back again on Wednesday at the slightly later time of 9 p.m. We could, and let's pray for it, be covering a de-escalation of the conflict next Wednesday, or we could be covering the escalation of one of the worst crises that the world has faced in the post-war era, and maybe, in the worst case, the worst crisis possible. The Chinese warships have arrived in the eastern Mediterranean. Mr. Lavrov is in Tehran talking with the Iranian leadership. The leader of Hezbollah has been quiet for quite some hours, indeed days. It is highly likely, to use a term, that is bandied around in Western media and politics a lot. It is highly likely that by the time you tune in again on Wednesday, for the next edition of the Mother of All talk shows, that this situation will be even more grave and serious than it is today. And one thing is virtually certain. The nearly 2,000 Palestinian children murdered over the course of just two weeks will have had their number considerably added to. It's been a good show. I wish it were longer and more frequent, but this is all we can afford to do. If you can help go longer, go more often, please contact me one way or another. I'll be back, God willing, on Wednesday. Thank you for joining with the Mother of All Talk Shows.